And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the Hump Day edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Britt Clanton joining me this morning, of course, as we slide into the middle of the month. Today, of course, the Big Fed Day. Today's the day. It's all led up to this, right? I mean, here it is. Federal Reserve today, Jerome Powell, is going to announce his taper tantrum, so to speak. Uh, you know, expectations are that, you know, he's going to announce that maybe a speeding up of the reduction of the balance sheet, moving the end date for the balance sheet reduction from June back to maybe March. And then that would pave the way for a rate hike sooner rather than later. Now. This is going to be interesting because right now a lot of the markets are talking, you know, a lot of the media anyway, saying, oh, don't worry about rate hikes. Rate hikes don't matter. And that's true. And we talked about this yesterday that, you know, when the initial rate hike starts, it doesn't really impact stocks that much because there's generally a lot of momentum behind stocks at that point. Markets are up 24, 25% this year so far. It's been a very good year. Uh, the Fed's going to start tapering their balance sheet, reducing that liquidity that they're putting into the market. So initially, even though they may talk about hiking rates today, that's, you know, it's going to be a while before that actually happens. And, you know, right now there's a, you know, we've had this kind of this correction in the markets over the last couple of days. So again, look for, and this is going to be the big question, is how does he thread that needle between being too hawkish or too dovish? That's going to be the real question. My expectations is, is that he'll you know, talk about the need for tapering their balance sheet, the need for hiking rates, becoming a bit more uh, persistent than they originally expected. And, you know, employment has really reached back to full employment levels. And of course, this is also what's been leaked out consistently now um, by the, you know, by the Wall Street Journal, who has, you know, Nick Timoros, who is pretty much the Fed's mouthpiece at this point, um, getting direction and releasing those leaks to the market. So the markets have been fairly well verbally prepared for what's going to happen today. So really don't expect any fireworks or anything you know new to come out that we don't already pretty much know and that the market has probably already been pricing in here over the last really you know three, four weeks. We've had this kind of this consistent selling pressure in the markets. And we talked about this prior to Thanksgiving that we expected selling pressure in the first two weeks of December. So today we have that Fed meeting. Uh, and then on Friday, we have options expiration. So a lot of that's also contributing to a lot of the volatility we're seeing in the markets. Over the last two days in particular, the NASDAQ is down 2.5%. Value stocks have actually been performing much better here lately. And have we've seen this rotation out of those technology leaders, the Apples, the Microsoft was down about 3.5% yesterday, Amazon, Google, those have been under pressure for the last couple of days. And we've seen stocks like Comcast, AT&T, uh, Johnson & Johnson, others have actually been performing fairly well here lately, seeing a rotation into that more value-oriented sector of the market. Now, the question is we've seen this before, and that value rotation has had a very quick life to it, and then everybody went running back into tech stocks again. We'll see if that happens again this time. One thing we do have heading into the end of the year is now elevated levels of cash in mutual funds and professional managers. Again, we've talked about that as well, is that this is the time of year where they typically have to sell to make distributions. 
And with the sell-off in the markets here lately, they've sold more than probably what they've needed to make those distributions. So they've got excess cash on their books. Now, moving into the end of the year, they'll need to put that cash back to work uh, in order to have their positions, you know, balanced for their end-of-year reporting. So that's that typical Santa Claus rally that we get, that what we call uh, window dressing for mutual funds, money managers, et cetera, because they have to report uh, their holdings at the end of the year and their balances. So again, expect that we still kind of expect to see you know, some rally here in the end of the year. Now, again, as we've said before, we don't expect a lot of upside here. There's still, you know, the markets have had a great year so far. There's not a lot of upside to be made here, but, you know, a, a, a bit of a rally into the year certainly would not be surprising. Again, even though we've had this kind of sell-off over the last couple of days, it certainly seems a lot more painful than it actually is. You know, when you look at the media headlines, it's like, markets in turmoil, right? You know, you know markets are selling off because of the Fed. Yeah, you know, Look, we had a nice rally coming off those lows of November and markets got a bit over overbought very quickly. And so this, this little bit of sell off here over the last few days, really not surprising. And again, we're still just well within the context of just barely off all time highs at this point. And more importantly, we're just slight. We're just kind of sitting at the 20 day moving average. So, again, when you when you look at this thing in context, it, the, the sell off has really not been all that vicious. It's been a bit of a pullback here after a fairly sharp rally that we had from those lows here uh, earlier um, this month, back at the beginning of December. So, you know, since we had that rally, this pullback here, not surprising. And of course, that does set the market up here now for that rally. Could we go a little bit lower over the next couple of days? Absolutely. The 50-day moving average, we got very close yesterday to actually touching on that 50-day moving average. So again, you, we basically say the market kind of tested the 50-day moving average yesterday. Again, held that support. Nice kind of, you know, rebound rally at the end of the day. Um, I would expect to see that if the, if the Federal Reserve comes in today with a, a bit more, you know, does a good job, so to speak, of kind of threading that dovish needle um, that we could see this market rally uh, through the end of the day. We'll see. We'll see what happens here. But again, you know, there's not a lot to panic on right now. Volume still remains very light. Breath is still fairly weak at this point. But we are beginning to see a bit of rotation in the market. So there is some underlying support. And this is helping portfolios that are a little bit more well diversified. Now, where you're getting in trouble uh, in this market is for portfolios that have been very aggressively allocated, particularly buying you know, a lot of these meme stocks, a lot of these stocks that are very aggressive growth. And those have been under a tremendous pressure lately. Uh, lots of losses. In fact, some of those stocks have given up all their gains for the year. But again, you know, that's, that's just kind of a, a function of, of balancing risk in portfolios. You know, we're, we have long technology exposure, but we also have some of that value-oriented component as well. And that acts as a hedge when you have this type of volatility in the markets. So as we start to look forward into the end of the year, again, you know, we're still optimistic about a rally into the end of the year, but there are risks. And I, and I certainly wanted to dismiss that. But as we move into 2022, and once we get through the month of January, those risks can become much more prevalent because the Fed will be starting to end their liquidity support by February and March. And then we're going to be start talking about initial rate hikes. That's going to start to really constrict those money flows. And so the big risk going into 2022, and, as we've, and we actually have an article written on our website as well, talking about the three things to watch for that will signal the next bear market. And that's basically the Fed tapering their balance sheet. And this is what happens historically the Fed hiking interest rates, 
and an inversion of the yield curve. So it doesn't take all three of those. It takes any one of those three, but those, all three of those things will be happening most likely in 2022. So the risk becomes much more elevated for a weaker market environment in 2022 than what we saw in, than really what we saw this year. So again, just as we move into next year, be aware that there are some elevated risks that you want to be paying attention to. And again, kind of maintain that diversification in your portfolio. Look for more of that value-oriented side of the portfolio to be a bit more beneficial next year than what we saw this year. And again, that's just kind of a function of, of kind of where we are in this market cycle. Now, when we come back from the break, we're going to pick up with Danny Ratliff. One of the questions that we're getting a lot lately is by individuals who have have a lot of cash or have been out of the markets entirely. When, and they're saying, you know, well, how do I get into the market? And that's been a real kind of an interesting conundrum for individuals that have been out is looking for that opportunity to get back into the market. So how do you do that safely? We'll talk about that with Danny Ratliff when we return from the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest blog posts are out by Michael Leibowitz. And ask your questions and comments, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Sandy Ratliff joining me as well. Um, you know, so, so the big story this today, of course, is the Federal Reserve now starting to announce a tightening of monetary policy. And, you know, one thing important here is, is that they're doing it backwards. Um, you know, what you should do, and this, you know, really doesn't seem to be that complicated of an issue, is you should hike rates first while you're doing QE, right? So the QE supports the financial markets, and that helps keep stocks elevated so you don't get an impact to consumer confidence if the market sells off. You hike rates first, and then once you hike rates to whatever level you want to hike them, then you start reducing your, your, monetary, your, your monetary balance sheets, that support for the markets. But they do it backwards, right? They take away the punch bowl for the market, and then they hike rates and slow the economy. So this is why throughout history, we always wind up, and, and there's a, you know, if, if, if you take a look at pretty much the media, uh, you know, analysis anywhere, it's like, oh, don't worry about rate hikes. You know, stocks, stocks go up once the Fed starts hiking rates, and that's true. As we said yesterday, you know, car rolling downhill, it's got momentum. It's going to take a bit to break it. But at some point, you know, whether it's four rate hikes, five rate hikes, six rate hikes, whatever it is, it's the one that comes right after that one that breaks the whole thing. And, and I saw a great article, a chart this morning. It says like, oh, see, you know, don't worry about it. In 2018, when the Fed was hiking rates, the market only was down 4.4% for the year. And then it was up next year. Well, think about what happened. The Fed was hiking rates. In September, they go, well, we're not near the neutral rate yet. The market sells off 20%, not 4 
sells off 20% from that point. It was just that it was up for the year before that break occurred. And then immediately when the market sells off, they go, oh, we were just kidding. And they immediately start moving back towards verbal accommodation, then reduce rates back to zero. And then we're doing QE in 2019 by doing reverse repo on the books and putting capital back into the banks. And as always is the case, you know, banks are healthy. According to the Federal Reserve, they, they pass their stress test all the time. And the banks are completely well-funded. In fact, cap, you know, banks have more capital now than ever. And if that's the case, then why is it every time the market takes a downturn, we've got to bail out banks? Just saying. Anyway. No contagion factor here. Nothing Not, to see. Nothing. Yes, yeah, just move right along. Everything is just fine. So, but here's the big question. Um, you know, look. We're clearly in a very elevated market. Valuations are extremely high, and, and we write about this a lot. And valuations matter. Those haven't changed. And, you know, there's lots of reasons that we can come up with that says, hey, I don't want to be invested in the markets. And, you know, honestly, I can't argue with you. But, unfortunately, we can't sit in cash either because that doesn't benefit us particularly with inflation going up, that doesn't help either. So the question that we get most often is, well, how do I get into the markets? And this is, and this is, a, this is a good question because, again, it's, 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 a, it's a bit scary, but I think you also have to understand there's a differential between investing and taking on a buy-and-hold investment strategy. And, and you know, what this comes down to is really understanding the management of risk. Can you invest in highly overvalued markets? Yes, you can. But you can't do it blindly. And this is one of the processes that we take very carefully when we're onboarding clients into markets. You know, we look for opportunities to increase exposure. But, you know, this is a very challenging environment. And, and I've got an article that's coming out in the next, I think, next week. Um, the problem with being in cash, and this is the most important part of that article, is that being all in cash, and, and, and look, and, and this, is, this is something we're seeing a lot of. Um, Danny has seen this numerous times. Though we, we have clients that come to us that have been out of the market since 2008. And you know, here it is, 2021. Now they want to get back in. right? And so the problem with being all in cash is that it can be just as detrimental being in, your, being in cash to your long-term financial goals as actually being in the crash. You know, so by, by taking an action of avoidance to try to avoid a potential crash at some point in the future, you can actually do as much damage to your financial outcome as actually being in the crash itself. And, that, and so that's why there's a very delicate balance here that you have to to understand and to implement in your strategy and not let the psychological, political, you know, emotional commentary may lead you to making decisions that have a long-term detrimental effect to your financial outcomes. Danny, your thoughts? You know, I, th I think this has been magnified. Over the years, we've seen such low inflation compared to where we are now. You know, looking at CPI, 6.9%, uh, are seeing some increase in Social Security, other areas which are, are promising. But if you're sitting in cash, you've, you've got a net loss here, a real return. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like you mentioned, markets have been expensive. We've had this same conversation for four or five years easily. Yeah. I mean, every year it's like a broken record. 
Right. The you know, same problem that we have markets are expensive. There's lots of political turmoil, uh, potentially higher taxes. I mean, so on and so on. So it is very important to understand, like what you just mentioned, Lance, is having a process to get in. You know, we hear all everything, you know, hey, you just put it all in. The markets always go up 80 percent of the time. We know that's a myth. Uh, Lance, Lance has busted that time and time again. Mm-hmm. We've also heard, well, just dollar cost average every month. And while that can, these can, things can work out in your favor at different times, that's not always the case. And I think we need to be a little bit more strategic in putting funds to work. Look, in a year like this year, it's been difficult because what's the market done? It hits a 50-day moving average, it bounces mm-hmm. back up. Does it repeat, you know, wash, rinse, repeat over and over and over <laughs> again? And it's unfortunate because, you know, this has been a time where we, we could have made an argument, hey, putting it all to work earlier this year was the right thing to do. However, being prudent, now hindsight's always twenty twenty. Right. Looking in the rearview mirror, but knowing the risks that are there and being able to manage that. And I think that's the important aspect of this is that, look, you can sit in cash. Maybe you could sleep well at night. But at some point, you're going to need your dip to dip your toes back in the market. And I think it's going to be very important to understand that you need a discipline on, one, how to get in, and, two, how to get out if things were to go wrong. And that's the bigger part of this, I think, mm-hmm. is that most people are afraid to get in because they've experienced such a detrimental time in the market in either 2001, two, and three, 2008. And, you know, those are things that, that are all very fresh memories for a lot of people because they don't, they haven't experienced anything else. Right. That's, that's the last thing they experienced about being in the market. So they think there's no way I work too hard. I can't, I can't see this go, which is why we manage money the way we do. Now, look, there's no risk avoidance here, but we do our best to mitigate it. Right. Well, I think that's the important thing. Right. And, and that is actually the key statement, which is, you know, the avoidance of risk is just as detrimental as having the risk, right? Yep. So in other words, if I'm betting if I'm betting on a poker hand, and poker is always kind of a great example structure for investing in the markets because there's there's very much the same kind of outcomes, right? You in a, in a poker hand, you're you're looking at what hands you've got available and you're trying to measure the risk and and the reward for betting on that hand. And so you you monitor your bets accordingly. And it's interesting in the financial markets we're doing exactly the same thing. We're we're betting on an unknown outcome. You know, we're assuming that our hand is strong enough that, you know, my three aces will beat whatever Danny's got. Well, we don't know that Danny's got four kings, right? So I'm going to bet heavy on a hand of three aces because that's a fairly strong hand. So I'm going to bet much heavier, but I'm really betting on an outcome that I don't know for certain. I can I can kind of assess what the odds are by what I hold in my hand, but I don't know for certain. And that's very much the same thing that we do in the financial markets. You know, we look at the portfolio of companies that we own and we say, well, these companies all have good earnings. They they're fundamentally strong, et cetera. But what we don't know and what we're betting on is that the future, the next three months, six months, nine months, doesn't have something occur in it that completely undermines that whole strategy of our hand that we have that we're betting on in the markets. And so that's when we always look back to, to, to you know, kind of poker is a good example. It's an easy example to understand because we very rapidly, if you play cards at all and understand the game of poker at all, I mean, you don't even have to be good at it. You just have to understand the basic rules. You can very quickly assess what the odds are of your hand, and you know very quickly whether you should just fold or bet light or bet heavy, right? You know, all in. <laughs> if you got a royal flush, you're all in, right? You're going to win. Um, but same thing in the financial markets. The problem is that just like, you know, there's two ways to lose in poker, which is to bet all in every hand 
which is to accept total risk, right? So this is buy and hold. Buy and hold is betting all in every hand, and eventually you're going to lose, and you're going to lose big. And, and the problem is, is, is that you may win a whole lot of hands being all in every hand, but you're eventually going to lose. That's what happens with buy and hold. Eventually, you're going to wind up on the wrong side of it. You can also lose at poker by not betting at all. I mean, you sit at the table and look pretty and maybe get free drinks for a little while, but you know, if you don't bet, you can't win at all. And so the avoidance of risk or the taking on of total risk both have bad outcomes. But we can manage our risk. And, and look, when we're actually participating in the game itself and managing our, the size of our bets, managing how we bet, managing when we bet, we can we can manage to get better outcomes over time. Now, does that mean we're never going to lose a hand of poker? Of course not. We're going to lose. But hopefully what we've done is that when we've got a losing hand or a hand that we're not so comfortable in, we've bet less. And that's just a function of raising raising cash or reducing cash in portfolios over time as markets get overbought or get oversold. And that's the the risk management process that we go through when we're trying to onboard a client, we're waiting for those pullbacks in the market back to some level of oversold condition. Then we'll start to ease in, start to, to buy in, you know, half positions of portfolio positions, starting to increase those positions. As we get the next pullback, we add more to those positions until we get the portfolio built. And then our just our overall risk management rules apply to the portfolio at that point. But that navigation process and, and and you know this is kind of the whole theme of the article about you know being all in cash it's just like a captain on a ship i can be out in the middle of the ocean clear skies calm seas it's all great but in any moment's notice right i you know there's rocks under the water there's a squall that can pop up there's plenty of dangers out there that i have to be aware of and avoid and that's what you have to do with your portfolio you still sell the seas just do it cautiously. Be right back after the break. I'm Real Science Roberts, Real Investment Advice. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year join danny ratliff and richard rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on saturday january 15th you'll learn the landmines to avoid tax advantages we see and money tips you need to know in the new year Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Rose Science Roberts. Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. And, of course, Brent Clanton driving a Wink Challenge bus. As always, uh, glad to have you here. Uh, be sure you buy the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. A couple of things coming up. We have a uh, lunch and learn? Candy coffee. Candy coffee. I always get them confused. We have a candy coffee coming up. When is that, Danny? January 15th. Okay. And what are, you, what are we talking about? We're talking about life. You know, <laughs> coffee, all the breakfast stuff. recipes. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, you know, that would be a good one. Everybody share their favorite breakfast recipe. You could do that. Get down with that. 
No, so we're going to be talking about, you know, what are the tips? You know, we go into the new year, everybody makes resolutions. They determine they're going to do better. So we want to put you guys on the right path to make sure you're taking advantage of all the things that you can. Still lots of unknowns out there, you know, in regards to taxes. You know, can we or can we not do certain types of strategies that we can right now? So we're going to talk about what is available what you should be doing to set yourself up for a successful 2022. And I think that, you know, just kind of getting the year off started off kind of an open, open hour to ask questions. So we, we always entertain questions. Um, that's really what it's all about. We actually started this back when, when COVID first happened, we thought, huh, how can we still remain kind of out in the open, talk to people and uh, just find out what's really important to you and make sure we address all those issues. So really rich and I enjoy doing these, these candid coffees um, just a time to, to really kind of, go back and forth and banter and, and visit with you guys. So go sign up realinvestmentadvice.com. It'll be January 15th. So got a couple of weeks yet before we get there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, about a month actually. Yeah. It's, it's exactly. coming. It is coming quick. Like Christmas. I know. It's 10 days like, away. It's like, have you got all your shopping done? I don't know. <laughs> because ask, ask Michelle. Yeah, because I, I the announcement so. today is that if you don't have your Christmas online order placed today, mm-hmm. it will not be delivered on time. So, okay, that's that is the warning from the delivery truck companies. And that has been going on since about October. It has been. But but the but the line is today is that the order has to be in today. So my My, wife's my wife's just going to have get a certificate for what she's going to get after Christmas. Yeah, that's kind of how it's going to go. My kids, Abby, she came up to me last night. Dad, what did you get mom for Christmas? I'm kind of concerned. <laughs> You're eight. Why are you concerned? I don't see anything under the tree because I don't put it under the tree. Because <laughs> every day they go and count. One, two, wait, Dad, this is not fair. Right. Uh, Life's not yeah. fair, honey. Sorry. <laughs> I don't love you nearly as much as the other kids. <laughs> Going for gift equality. Yep. My, my kids learned that lesson a long time ago. And I, I was flat up with them. I mean, because they'd say, you know, you know, Mackenzie's got more presence than I do. It's like, but I love her more. <laughs> well, it, didn't matter, it didn't matter that, you know, his presents were probably more expensive than hers, yeah. you know, but I, I just tell them straight up. It's like, yeah, I love her more or her, you know, I love him more. <laughs> and they just, they don't, they don't like, okay. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, you know, dad don't pull no punches. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Anyway, and they're in therapy still today. They, yeah, they're, I wonder why my kids are all messed up. But anyway, <laughs> so anyway, a uh, couple of things here as, as we kind of get into today. And, and again, you know, the, the big news today, of course, that's going to be the Federal Reserve. We'll get into all those details for you tomorrow about what happened. And, you know, that announcement is going to be this the you know, kind of mid-afternoon. So, again, this market may be a little bit sloppy earlier today. Um, but, again, depending on, as we said earlier, how hawkish uh, Jerome Powell is. And, again, I don't expect him to be. I suspect that we're probably going to see a rally by the end of the day. Um, we've had a couple of good days of selling pressure here. So, again, not surprising if we get a little bit of, of rebound rally. People aren't willing, People aren't ready to give up on this market just yet. So, you know, there's there's still, you know, markets, you know, kind of most of our indicators are oversold um, on a longer term basis. We've got, you know, kind of excess levels of cash in the markets right now. So, again, there's there's lots of, of potential here. And again, we're just finishing up this week, which also sets us up for that last two weeks of the year, which tend to be better, kind of stronger months. Now, once we get into January of next year, who knows? 
So do you think he's done a much better job than he did previously a couple years back in 18 when he kind of just came out of the middle of nowhere and said, hey, we're a long ways from neutral? Because he's been telegraphing this, and other Fed officials have as well. Where I don't think it's going to come as such a well, shock, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, first of all, back in 2018, he was the Jerome Powell that we all thought he was. Right. So when, you know, everybody, everybody in the financial markets was excited when Jerome Powell got elected because, you know, and, you know, nominated, nominated. for uh, Fed chair because he was this kind of anti-establishment guy, so to speak. And he was going to be much more focused on really the economy and not worrying so much about the financial markets. And he you know, was really supposed to be a different breed of financial, you know, Fed chairman. And of course, as soon as he made those, you know, erroneous words in September of 2018, saying, "Well, we're not anywhere near the neutral rate; the market's down 20 percent." That's all it took before President Trump called him up on the phone and said, "Look, if you don't straighten this out pretty quick, you're going to be fired." And of course, there were headlines, you know, all across the media at that point in December. You know, is, is, is Jerome Powell going to be fired? You know, what happens if you fire the Fed chairman? And blah blah blah. Everybody was was already assuming he was going to be fired. Well. He changed his tone pretty quick, made a few visits to the White House, and before you know it, we're cutting rates, and he became, you know, every Fed chairman before him. He, he became Ben Bernanke. He became Alan Greenspan. You know, it's just uh, he became Janet Yellen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all you know, all of that idea that he was this different Fed chairman went right out the window, and he became exact. And, again, we said at the time when he was elected that he wouldn't be different, and he turned out not to be any different. And the next guy will be probably even, or, or, or gal, because now we're talking about Lael Brainerd, um, potentially as the next Fed chairman after after Powell. She's she's more Janet Yellen-ish than anyone. So again, the, the, the bias by the Fed to help support the financial markets and inflate asset bubbles is, is gonna continue. And the problem with that is, is that these booms and busts are just gonna keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger because we keep doing the same erroneous policies. And what nobody's figured out yet is that, you know, doing QE is great for the financial markets in the short term, but it leads to long-term economic inequality, wealth inequality, and bigger booms and busts in markets. It's not healthy. You know, by not allowing capital to capitalism and price discovery to work as it should, we're making more and more unhealthy markets long term. Uh, you know, and, and the whole point of this is to avoid short term pain. We're making the long term pain even more problematic. So that's where we are. Well, that's that's historically what we've always done. So I don't yeah. know why we would expect anything different. <laughs> well, it's it's, you know, short term pain is unelectable. So if you want to stay in office, yeah. you try to avoid the short-term pain, right? Yep. So a um, couple of things as, as we've kind of, you know, kind of moving ahead uh, into next year, as, as we were talking about, the, you know, the headwinds moving into next year are going to be substantially different than what we, you know, what, what were tailwinds over the last couple of years are going to be, become headwinds. And, you know, we're still trying to wrestle over, you know, vaccinations and who's vaccinated and unvaccinated and mandates to lock down things. You know, those are economically non non functional, right? Those those are gonna going to slow economic activity as we go forward, and particularly if you start firing a bunch of people because they choose not to get vaccinated. Um, that's not gonna be good for employment. And you know, the thought is is like, oh, we've got all these other people willing to take jobs. 
Um, there's a, I have a real sneaking suspicion that all those job openings really aren't all those job openings. And what I mean by that is, is that there's a lot of companies right now, they have high turnover. So when they have high turnover, they just keep their job postings out all the time. Because if I'm in the restaurant business or I'm in the entertainment business or whatever, my turnover is very high because people are just leaving my restaurant to go down the street to work at the next restaurant for a dollar higher wage, whatever it is. And so I just leave my job postings out there. So it looks like we have all these excess job openings. My suspicion is that they aren't really there. And because we've had record job openings, not just today, we've had record job openings for years. And if you take a look at the level of job openings, they've just been rising, particularly over the last six, seven years in particular, they kind of started this uh, more accelerated trend higher. And we've just had com consistently higher job openings during that entire time frame. So again, I think a lot of this is the fact that, hey, we don't know how to count job openings. Uh, secondly is, is that with all these job services, you know, you have Indeed and you have all these other online job uh, kind of job um, sites that you can go to to apply for work. Well, as a company, I've got an ad on every one of the sites. So I may have one job opening, but I may have 15 or 20 ads out there that are all getting counted. And so I think the disparity and what we're going to find out at some point is that we're going to we're going to make a mistake here. and We're going to fire a bunch of people because they choose not to get vaccinated or whatever. And then all of a sudden there's not the replacements for those. And that's going to cause an economic problem um, that is unexpected and unintended. And that typically is what happens in markets. You know, we kind of get into these these places where we think that we have something that's there that's not really there. And when we actually start taking action on it, that's where the reality comes to roost. And so, again, there's a lot of things moving into next year. Tighter Fed policy, less liquidity in the markets, higher interest rates. Um, you know, a lot of the things that have been kind of supporting the evolution of the markets over the last couple of years and the economy, all that liquidity, the $1,400 checks to households, the $900 checks to households, the excess unemployment benefits, all that. So a lot of that cash is still in the system, but that's all getting eaten up by inflation now. So as we move into next year, a lot of those tailwinds that have helped support the economy and the markets up to this point are going to become headwinds to that economic development and vibrance that we expect will be there. That's going to be the big risk in 2022. Be right back up to the bank. We're going to wrap up the show. Uh, talk a little bit about internet sales as well. That's all coming up right here on The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year join danny ratliff and richard rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on saturday january 15th you'll learn the landmines to avoid tax advantages we see and money tips you need to know in the new year Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. 
You know, money changes everything. I'm just sitting reading a headline. A changed Taliban says it's welcoming women's rights and now wants $10 billion from the U.S. <laughs> you really can't make this kind of stuff up. I'm just saying. Send us your money will change. <laughs> exactly. You know, wait, there's money if I'm good? Okay. See? It's my kids. Apparently, my kids are now the Taliban. I'll be good <laughs> if you give me money. <laughs> Until they get the money. <laughs> and then they turn back into the Taliban. Yeah. That's my kids. <laughs> Oh, man. They've been terrorizing me for years. Anyway, um, Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Uh, real quick here, I wanted to, uh, I got a chart here this morning. A couple of interesting charts out this morning. Um, internet sales have been above the previous trend. Obviously, again, let's go back to everybody's like, look how strong the economy is. You know, sales are above trend. Well, yeah, we gave people a, you know, a crap ton of money. What do you expect? They're going to go out and spend it. And so, you know, Retail sales went above trend, but internet sales are, you know, trending well above trend. Here is the interesting part, though, because, you know, there was always talk uh, previously about the death of, you know, um, you know, kind of the brick and mortar retail stores, right? It's the, you know, the death of the mall is coming, right? The malls are all going to die. Have you been by a mall lately? It is packed. Not even a five-mile vicinity. I don't want to be anywhere near one. Uh, exactly. Uh, the chart of – so the second chart I have here is a chart of physical sales. And, again, if you're watching our online, I'll explain it. Don't worry. If you're driving, don't worry about it. Um, but store, physical store sales are dramatically above their long-term trend. And, you know, people – one, you know, people, and this is what I've always said is like, you know, internet, internet sales are great, right? But I, I like when I shop, I want to go put my hands on stuff. And look, we, we order stuff online that's like everyday usage type mm -hmm. stuff. Olive oil, yeah, you know, send it to my house. I don't need to put my hands on olive oil, but if I'm shop for clothes, something like that, I want to go to the store and, you know, try it on, make sure it feels good. Yeah, Our what part, do you, you, know, do you I, wear when you're out of here? I mean, you, you wear this, you go home, you go bowl. I, I know. Mean, what, what, what else do you need? That's true. Well, my workout gear. Right. There you go. Got to work out gear. But, our, you know, our, our partner, you know, is like 18 feet tall. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and you think I jest. It's, it's the tallest guy I know. All um, the cabinets in the kitchen are out of reach uh, no, for no, most no, of us. For, yeah. You know, I, you know, my wife complains about her being short in the house. If I put stuff up on shelves, she yells at me. <laughs> so I bought her the stool. You know, the stools you buy for kids. It says yeah. this little stool is mine so I can reach things I shouldn't. <laughs> I bought her that stool. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's the way I feel, you know, when Connie's in the office, right? I mean, there's like stuff in shelves I can't reach. I'm like, this is ridiculous. But, uh, you know, he orders, he has to go to physical stores to buy stuff because if he orders it online, you know, he orders pants online. You know, they're like Bermuda shorts when he gets them. So, you know. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah. Anyway. I still look up to him. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Everybody looks up to him. <laughs> you know, he, he dresses up for Christmas as the Jolly Green Giant, so. <laughs> With his Bermuda shorts? With his Bermuda <laughs> <laughs> that's because he ordered the costume online. See, that's the whole problem. Anyway, anyway, a uh, couple of things here to wrap up the show. Um, great comment this morning. You can't set a Hallmark movie in Texas. Unexpected snow isn't magical in Texas. It's terrifying and leads to fights at HEB. Yes, that is absolutely correct. So other thing to, to get into as we want to wrap up the show here is you know, we were talking earlier about investing in markets and, of course, uh, this 
you know, trying to avoid risk, right? So there's a whole nother side of that, which is also an avoidant, you know, kind of a theoretical avoidance of risk, but actually is the acceptance of complete risk, which is a buy and hold investment strategy. And Danny had mentioned earlier about dollar cost averaging and dollar cost averaging is fine as long as markets are going up. But you should never dollar cost average in a declining market because you're investing capital that you're destroying during a bear market. So it's kind of like throwing money into a burning house, right? Um, eventually, the house will stop burning. And then that's the point you want to invest the capital to rebuild the house, right? You don't try to build, rebuild the house while it's still on fire. Um, so, you know, a lot of these things, they seem like kind of armchair analysis. Oh, it's easy to invest and just ride the markets out over time. And it will work given a long enough time frame because markets will rise over time, but you wind up destroying a lot of capital and giving up a lot of returns and wealth building during that process. And a couple of those strategies, you know, we hear about a lot of like dividend aristocrats, right? Just invest in dividend yielding companies and hold them and it'll be just fine because even if the stock price goes down, right, you still get the yield. Well, there's two huge fallacies about that. First of all, you don't get yield. You do not get yield. Yield is a mathematical calculation of price versus the dividend that's paid out. What you get is the actual dividend. If a company pays a dollar a share a year, that's what you get. You get a dollar a share a year. That's all you get. You don't get anything else. Now, theoretically, you're going to own a, you're, you're supposed to buy a whole lot more shares if the stock is really cheap price, right? So if the stock trades at $10, and it has a dollar share in dividend. It has, guess what? A 10% yield. Sounds great. Let's buy that one. There's a reason it's trading at $10 a share, probably. But if it goes down to eight, your yield goes up, Lance. Yeah, I know. It's great. But, but guess what? You're still getting a dollar a share and you've lost Correct. 20% of your money. So, two things to think about if you want to buy dividend yielding stocks, don't worry about the yield. What does it pay out every year? If a company pays, what's, what's better? A company that pays out a dollar a year or a, do, or a company that pays out $3 a year? What pays you more, right? Second thing is, is that the problem with buying dividend yielding stocks is that, and this is the, the, the fallacy, they go, well, you know, I don't care if the stock price goes down 50%, I'm still getting the yield. No, you're not. You're getting the dividend. And now you've lost 50% of your capital. And when that occurs, I mean, just go back and look at a plethora of companies back in 2020 is a good example of this companies from Boeing to Ford that have been long-term payers of dividends, right? Oh, I only buy companies that have long-term track records of paying dividends. Ford, Boeing, all fit in that bill until 2020. And then they quit paying the dividend. So now you're down 50% of your money and you lost the income. So the problem with all these armchair strategies, whether it's buy and hold, buy dividend aristocrats, whatever it is, it's all fine and dandy until things don't work out the way they're supposed to. And more importantly, psychologically, people have the best of intentions of sitting here holding a, a basket of stocks or a basket of ETFs, whatever it is. And they go, oh, well, I don't care if it goes down 50%. I, I don't care. I, those are the ones that tell me that, that as soon as the market's down 3 4 5%, they're on the phone call. He's like, what do I do? Yeah. I'm losing all my money. Yeah, that's what it is. So I'll call your bluff because most of those people who who and this isn't everybody. I hate to paint you know in broad strokes here, but a lot of people that we visit with who are utilizing strategies such as this, they're trying to do it to avoid the risk because they say, hey, if it goes down, 
but they've never made that good decision when it's gone down. They've typically always they ran for the hills. Yeah. So now it, it, we've got a bigger problem. <laughs> we're we're buying something that may not be the best growth oriented portfolio. We may receive income cuts, and we may sell at the worst opportunity. And 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 may is really kind of the operative word here because almost nine times out of ten, you ev- will everybody sells. Yeah. You know, there's a I always love people that say, well, you know, I'm just going to buy and hold. I'm never going to sell it. There's a point everybody sells. There's a point everybody sells. Well, there's that breaking point, right? You think, man, this is our family's livelihood. We've worked so mm-hmm. hard. We can't, we can't see this go down anymore. It's just going to keep getting worse because everybody you know, you, everybody knows somebody who's out of work. It's a family member, a friend. It may be yourself, and you just think, I've got to stop the bleeding. Yep. And, and, and look, and this is one of the, the, the tragedies that we've done to the markets over the last five, you know, five years or so with all this Fed liquidity and everything else is that we've taught a whole generation of investors Oh, don't worry. Just buy the dip. And because every time the market dips, the Fed's going to come in and bail out the markets. And, you know, that's true. Um, It's very much been the case. But we've trained an entire generation of investors that that's the way it's always going to work. And there's a real a real risk that at some point, even if the Fed comes in and says, hey, we're going to start supplying the markets with liquidity again and the markets just keep going down. And, you know, what causes that, I don't know. But all I'm just saying is, is that, you know, there is a point that you're inflating a financial bubble to a degree that even bailouts potentially won't be able to resolve because it's already been taking larger and larger quantities of, of QE to help support markets where they are. We've had to do bigger and bigger and bigger programs. The question is, is at what point? And again, you can, the Fed can only do QE as long as the Treasury is issuing debt for them to monetize. So what happens if you get in a position where there's not enough debt for the Fed to monetize, which is is a potential problem down the road? So again, there's, you know, those are the things that you need to be aware of. And again, we're, you know, we're not saying, hey, you need to be out of the markets. Not at all. You need to be in the markets. The question is, is how do you do it? And you just have, it's just like anything else. You don't drive down the freeway with a blindfold on, you know, hoping that you're going to get to your destination, right? It's, you're constantly adjusting, you know, your your lane control and your braking or accelerating, what whatever you it you is. Just accelerate, just, you'll get there quicker, Lance. Exactly. I mean, so. you, know, you know, I was, I was driving to work this morning. I was doing about 75. There's nobody on the freeway. And then this sheriff comes flying past me at about 110. I'm just like, no lights on. He's just, he's just going to get coffee and donuts. But, I mean, you know, I'm just like, okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're driving a car, you're constantly adjusting for risk. Why would you not do that in your portfolio? That's kind of the the same idea. You want to get your destination safely, right? So, anyway, conversation for another day, I guess. Yeah, lots of stuff going on. But if you do have questions on that, go to realinvestmentadvice.com. We'd love to answer any of those questions. Uh, Lance responds right away. I mean, it's actually pretty unbelievable. If you've ever ever emailed him, I mean, you get something back. Is that automatic? No. I'm kidding. I make I make sure when I respond that I'll put in stuff that is relevant to today. Like, yeah. you know, have a great Tuesday, whatever, so people know it's not an automated response. It's actually me responding. So, all right, get by the website. Michael Leibowitz's new article is out this morning on the dollar rally. What does it mean for the markets and money? That's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get signed up for our upcoming uh, candy coffee in January and send us your questions, comments, emails. Happy to help you out. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow to go over the Fed, what they do, and what it means for your money tomorrow on the next edition of The Real Investment Show.
Are you ready? Lots of questions lately about how to set a stop on a position in your portfolio. That's coming up on today's three minutes on Markets and Money. So a bit of an educational. Uh, <clears throat> so the question, so the question is, is how do I go about setting stops on positions in our portfolios? It's actually a good question, and there's not really an exact science to setting stops in a lot of cases. A lot of it is subjective. Some of it has to do with experience, but there are some technical parameters that we can look at in terms of helping decide where to place those stops on positions in our portfolios. Now, first of all, setting a stop is simply just setting a point to where I'm not willing to lose more money in a position, particularly if it's a new position that I just deployed in my portfolio. Today, we're going to use Apple as an example because it's a good stock that a lot of people own and have questions about. So first of all, the stock is trading three standard deviations above its 50-day moving average, which is very extended here, and we're certainly expecting a pullback. So if I own Apple here at this very extended level saying, hey, you know, this is, you know, prop so if we own Apple here at this very extended level, the first thing I may want to do is just start to take some profits in my position, just reduce my position size temporarily. It's had a very, very strong run. But at what point would I want to start removing that position entirely from my portfolio? Well, the first area where I may want to set a stop loss is right around the 20-day moving average. This has been a good level of previous support for the markets. <clears throat> this has been a good level of previous support for Apple going back and again, it's just kind of that first warning sign that I may want to start reducing more of my position. The 50-day moving average now becomes kind of the next level of key support here for Apple. So what we're looking for here is some moving averages to dictate levels of previous support. So moving averages work well for stop points because those stop points move over time versus setting just a... a just versus just setting a strict stop loss level. I bought it at 174. I'm going to sell it at 150. I'm going to put a stop loss in at 150. Moving averages tend to adjust over time. So it helps that moving average stay relevant to the current price of the, it helps, it helps the stop level stay relevant to the current price of the stock. Quick break here. Two other levels of support, two other levels to look at for placing stops are previous levels of support for the stock, where that stock held two other, two other ways to set stop levels. Hmm. Two other ways to stop. Two other ways to set stop levels are previous areas of support and previous trend levels for that particular company. First of all, if we take a look at Apple, the Apple has a good support level going back here at 140 for the stock. It was where previous tops existed and previous bottoms existed for Apple over the course of the last several months. So if Apple would break through that support level, that's actually a fairly, a fairly good level to place a stop for Apple stock. Now, again, once you start to break through this level, you're getting the fairly stand, uh, Now, once you break, so wait, let me draw my arrow back. Okay. 
Now, once you would break through that level of support, you're getting to fairly oversold levels of the markets here. So I would expect the Apple to bounce at some point here because of that oversold condition. So instead of selling immediately when the stop level is, is violated, you may want to look for a bounce here back to that previous support level then to sell that stock there because generally that's where the stock will begin to start a bigger downtrend over time. The second thing, the last way to set a stop level for us is using previous trend line support for, the, for that stock over the longer term period. Looking at Apple over a longer term time frame, Apple has had a very steady kind of rising trend. Sorry, gotta get my thing back. Looking at Apple on a longer term time frame, there's a very clear rising trend for Apple stock going all the way back to 2019. So one of the kind of the key longer term lines to be looking at is that rising trend line. A break of that trend line is a very important kind of key support for Apple stock and would represent a reversal in the stock price, potentially leading to much lower levels of stock prices over time. So I definitely want to currently place a stop right now, right around 150 on Apple. Now, right below that is a, it's kind of a level of support right around 140. So that 150, 140 support level for Apple on a longer term basis certainly sets up a good place to put a stop temporarily. Now, there's other ways to put stops on portfolios. Uh, William O'Neill suggests an 8% trailing stop loss. The problem, let me start that over. 
There's certainly other ways to put a stop level on stocks. And again, this is all subjective to how you want to manage your portfolio and your money. William O'Neill suggests an 8% trailing stop loss. There's other people say just use a 10% trailing loss, a 20% trailing loss, whatever it is. The problem with just using a percentage loss is that you may get a correction that's still within a very defined uptrend, gets stopped out of a stock, the stock immediately reverses and goes up, and then you're frustrated because you got stopped out of your position. Also remember, when you put stops on positions, you don't have to put a stop on the entire position. You can put a stop level on a partial position as well, just to reduce your ownership of something that you want to try to hold longer term, and then use that weakness at some point to add back into the position at lower levels. That's just a brief synopsis of how we put stops on our positions in our portfolios at, <clears throat> at RIA Advisors. But if you have questions, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We're always happy to help. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. That's just how we do it at RIA Advisors and managing portfolios for our clients. But if you have questions or comments, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Let us know how we can help you. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow for the next edition of Three Minutes on Markets and Money. We'll see how an educational piece works. Yeah. So I wanted to try something different this morning.